If you got your Bibles with you, uh, let's turn to the book of Proverbs. We're going to start there today in the book of Proverbs. We're going to continue the series about hope, and we're going to turn to Proverbs, I believe it's 13, in verse 12. And we'll read that first. It says in Proverbs 13 and verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Notice that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Let's read in the Message Bible. It says, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick. But a sudden good break can turn life around. You know what I'm believing that for you this morning? Notice what it says, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick, but a sudden good break can turn your life around. So I'm believing that for us today. And today I want to talk about hope again, but I want to specifically talk about something that's uh, it's going to be real this morning. Y'all like a real? Okay, we got 50%. Y'all like a real on Sunday mornings? Uh, um, we're going to preach some real things, some uh, some real things and some real talk today. And I love this, uh, Pastor Michael Todd, some of you guys know who that is, Transformation Church. He always says, I like to preach it hot. But you know what he means by that? He says hot means honest, open, and transparent. And and so it's going to be that way this morning. And and I want to share some things with you. And I believe that God's going to speak to you this morning. I really believe that some people are going to find healing today in the house of God. And you're going to find some answers this morning. And even if you didn't need it, which I know you do need it, you can give it to somebody else who does need it. So we're going to continue to talk about hope today. And today I want to talk about overcoming disappointment. Overcoming disappointment. I want to give you a quick definition of hope as we begin this message. And I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to go listen to that message from last week. We talked about holding on to hope. And about getting our hopes up and having our hopes in God and God being our only source of hope. We talked about you need to choose hope and you need to speak hope and you need to hold on to hope because the hope of God is an anchor to our souls, both sure and steadfast. But, but tonight or this morning, I want to share a little bit, uh, some steps further about hope. But we want to talk first about what is the definition of hope. Well, just the The simplest definition is hope is confident expectation of good in your future. Confident expectation of good in your future. You realize that we we preach faith around here. We're a faith church. But unless you have hope, you have nothing for your faith to work with. Because it says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So hope is the confident expectation of good in your future. You have to have hope to live. We read this last week, but I want to repeat it to you again. Hope is to our spirits what oxygen is to our lungs. If you lose hope, you will die. They may not bury you for a while, but you are dead inside. The only way to face the future is full of hope. Hope is the energy of the soul, and hope is the power of tomorrow. And so, I want to talk about hope today. 
Let's bring this verse back up there, Proverbs 13 and verse 12 in the New King James. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. So let's leave this up here for a moment because this morning I want to talk about overcoming disappointments. And I believe today God's going to speak to you and you're going to get some clarity on your life and overcoming disappointments in your life. You know, I was thinking about this, and it's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to be honest with God. He's not offended when we're honest with God. A lot of us talk so religious to God like he's going to get offended if we really say what we really want to say to him. The thing is, he already knows what you're thinking, so just go ahead and say it. He's not offended by your disappointments. He's not offended when you talk real to him. He's not offended when we're honest with God because he loves you and he wants you to talk open and honest with him. If we've learned anything from the Psalms is David was a man after God's own heart and he talked honestly to God. Now there's certain Psalms where he's up on the mountaintop, and God, I love you, and life is beautiful, and the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And there's other passages where he says, God, did you forget about me? Are you not listening, God? Why are all my enemies getting ahead and I'm not? Could you kill them, please? Could you bust their teeth out? That's in your Bible. Because David was honest with God. And if he was a man after God's own heart, that means that we could be honest with God and God is not offended when we talk real to him. He's not offended when we bring him our heartache and our pain and our grief and our disappointments. He wants us to come to him when we're feeling that way and not act like it doesn't exist and not talk religious to him, but talk real to him because that's the only way he can help us. And so today, that's what I want to share in this message, but I want you to take away from this message, and we need to talk about overcoming disappointments, because last week we talked about hope, and we're still talking about hope today, but what do you do when you get your hopes up and it doesn't happen? What do you do when you get your hopes up and it doesn't turn out the way it should? Does that happen in life? Yes. So what do we do with that? Because you have to do something with it. You can't just ignore it. You can't just deny it. You can't just act like it didn't happen. Even for people who love God and believe God and are faith people, sometimes you get your hopes up and it doesn't work out the way you thought and it doesn't go the way it should. What do you do with that? Zero honest people in the church today. Has anyone been there ever in your entire life? So what do you do with that? Do you want me to talk about this today? So how, how do you do that? You, you hear messages about getting your hopes up, and I think you, you need to. But when it doesn't turn out the way it should or it doesn't work out, what do you do with that? Because you got to do something with it. And you got to learn how to overcome disappointments because if you don't, 
it will keep you stuck the rest of your life. The thing is, this is what happens when people face tragedy, trauma, loss of a job, loss of their health, bankruptcy, death, divorce, abuse, pain, disappointments, and they got their hopes up and it didn't happen the way they thought it would happen and it doesn't work out the way they thought it should work out. A lot of people don't know how to deal with that. So this is what happens to people. And we see this all the time. When you get your hopes up in God and it doesn't work out the way you thought it would, this is what a lot of people do. They change their theology. And I used to believe God was this way, but because of my experience, I can't believe him anymore. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Or or people walk away from their faith. They walk away from their faith because I got my hopes up in God and this still happened. I got my, got my faith and my hope up in God, and it didn't work out the way it should. And I, and I still had the abuse, and I still got the divorce, and I still saw the death, and I still had the bankruptcy. What do you do with that? Because if you don't deal with it, it doesn't go away. It deals with you. And we got to be honest enough to talk about that because God has answers. And there is healing. But this is what I don't want us to happen because if you don't talk about it, that's what happens. You change your theology on what you believe about God. So now I don't believe in healing anymore. I don't believe in deliverance anymore. And I don't believe in hope anymore. And I don't believe in prosperity anymore. And I don't believe God can do anything in my life because I've been disappointed too many times. So I'm just going to come to church just out of religiousness. But I don't really believe anymore because I've been disappointed too many times. So I'm never going to get my hopes back up again. That's exactly where the enemy wants you to be. Or you'll walk away from your faith. A lot of people do it. Because they don't understand and they don't know why these things happen. You still hear it this morning. And a lot of people, that's even a term that's being tossed around the past few years, there's a lot of people in the church world called deconstruction. People deconstructing their faith. You know what the root of that is? There's pain and there's hurt in people that went to church in their life but something didn't turn out right and they never dealt with it and they're mad at God. And because they never dealt with that pain, they'll try to make up excuses why they don't believe anymore. I'm just deconstructing my faith because I've been hurt and I got a lot of pain and the pain's real, but it's not God's fault. Let me make it sound more spiritual and better than it is. And I'm deconstructing my faith right now. And I'm just exploring other options. I'm just losing my faith. It all has to do with disappointments that they never overcame. They never got over. They never dealt with. And then they walk away from their faith. And as your pastor, I don't want any of those things to happen to you. Because no one talked to you honestly about these things. I don't want those things to happen to us or even to people you know. Because there is answers in God's word. 
Are you really here today? I'm going to need your help this morning. So we need, to, uh, we need to talk about this. And I would say also, sometimes we don't prepare people in the church world, not just this church, for life. When you come to Jesus does not equal rainbow unicorns and butterfly sprinkles. That never says that in the Bible whatsoever. It actually says when you come to Jesus, you're more of a threat to the enemy and there will be more persecution thrown your way, and there will be more opposition thrown your way, and there will be more suffering thrown your way because the enemy hates your guts more. There's nowhere in the Bible that says when you come to Jesus, all will be well, and your life will be like living in heaven. No, because you're not in heaven yet. You're still on the earth. Now, the Bible does say you can be victorious, Believe that. You can be an overcomer. But notice victory and overcoming implies a battle. Applies an enemy. Implies opposition. (laughs) How many know you don't need to win victory in heaven? Because there's nobody there against you. You don't have to overcome anything in heaven because it's heaven. So I still believe those things, and and we're going to read it later in John 10.10. Yes, Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly, but the first half says, but you have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Both are true, and both are real. But sometimes in the church world, we don't teach people about life. Life is not just black and white. Life is sometimes messy. And ugly and difficult because you're not in heaven yet. You can have victory. You can be an overcomer. You can receive all the promises of God. But if we don't prepare people for what's going to hit them in life or come against them, once again, many people walk away from their faith. They change their theology because no one ever gave them a heads up. You really want me to go here today? I can't tell yet. What has he got to say? We got to talk about this. So we're talking about overcoming disappointment. So once again, hope is a confident expectation of good in your future. So I'm telling you, by the end of this message, even though you have been disappointed, maybe even you have some current disappointments in your life by the end of this message i'm believing you're still going to have hope which is a confident expectation of good in your future but we have to talk about the other things and deal with that first and heal that first before we get to a place of hope so this morning if i could we're going to dive in and this would be a good good service to take notes So here's the age-old question that many people ask. They've been asking since the beginning of the time. Why do bad things happen to good people? First of all, let's put a little disclaimer on that. No one's good but God. But that's a different subject for a different time. But I know what you're saying. Why do people that love God, 
pay their bills, live in the suburbs, have a nice, sweet family. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there's answers. There's answers. So I want to give you just a few of them. Why do things happen in this planet that doesn't align with God's will? Or doesn't align with God's best. Why do disappointments happen? Why does abuse happen? Why, why does death happen? Why does bankruptcy happen? Why does pain happen? The first reason is we live in a fallen world. Now this morning I really want you to hear me because you need to know what you believe about God and why you believe it. The most important thing about us is what we believe about God. And so I want to give you some clear, sound theology on why bad things happen in this planet to even people that love God. We live in a fallen world. When I say we live in a fallen world, you realize when Adam sinned, he brought a curse on all of mankind and all of creation. So your Bible says that all of creation is under a curse. It still is. Your Bible says that as we speak, the earth is dying. You know, that's the reason we have crazy natural disasters, things happening on the planet. It's not the judgment of God. God's not wiping out New Orleans with a hurricane to judge their sin. It's not good theology. No, it's called the earth, the Bible says, is groaning and travailing because it's under a curse. And it's dying. It's taking some time to die, but it's dying. In the same way that you're dying, I'm just here to give you hope today. (laughs) But we are. From the time you're born, you're dying. You are. That's not something you need to think about all the time. Be a very weird person. But you are. From the time you're born, you're dying. Why? Because we're under sin and we're under that curse. God's plan was never that we would die. It's that that we would be eternal. But because of sin, from the moment we're born to to the moment we die, we are dying. But you realize the trees are dying? The mountains are dying. The rivers are dying. The oceans. This planet is dying because it's under a curse. Because of sin. So that's the reason that a lot of things happen on the planet that are not right. Because it's under sin. It's under a curse. It's not heaven. Now here's the next one. Here's another reason why things happen in our life. We have free will. God has given all of us a free will. You know what free will means? Free to choose. Here's the only sticky part about that. Free to choose good is also free to choose bad. That's where the problem is with human beings. Because majority of us choose bad choose wrong so God has given all of us a choice a lot of times bad things happen to us 
because of our own choices. God has given us a free will choice, free to choose good or free to choose bad. And also, we have freedom to have the consequences of both good and bad. Comes with it. And we got to understand this, that everything that happens on the planet is not God's will. Because we have a choice. You know, the thing about free will is it's empowering, but dangerous. In the same way it is when you give your kids the car keys when they're 16. And in one sense, that's what God did to mankind. He gave us the car keys of the planet and said, go ahead. It's empowering, but it's dangerous. So we got to understand here this morning, and trust me, God's not going to strike me down dead, but God is not in control. I know people say that. It's a religious statement. People say that too to make themselves feel better about their life. Well, God is in control. God is in charge, but he's not in control. There's a difference. In the same way, you are in charge of your children, but you're not in control over them. Just like if, if you told your kids and they were a teenager, they were 17 years old, they could drive. I don't want you going to that party tonight. I don't want you driving over there. And they drove over there and they got drunk and then they wrecked the car. You did not choose that for them. You are in, you're in charge, but you're not in control. It's the same way with God. A lot of us make wrong mistakes and then try to say, God? He said, no, I gave you the car keys and you ran it into the tree. That's not my fault. So we know this about our kids, but it's the same way with God. God is our father. We are his children. And he's not in control. He's in charge. He has the ultimate authority to change the rules anytime he wants. But he gave us control over our own lives. And we have to choose to align our will with his will. If we want to get his results. But because of our choice and our free will... Bad things happen. There's consequences. Sometimes your choice, sometimes other people's choices to do things to you. That's why in the Gospels it says that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because it's not automatically happening. Because of our choices. So God is not in control of everything that happens on the planet. And is it ultimately his will? He is in charge, but he's not in control. He has given his children, us, the car keys. That's what it says in the Bible. He's given us the keys of heaven and earth to rule, to have dominion. But we must choose. Free to choose is free to choose bad, free to choose good. And there's consequences that come with that. Lastly, you have an enemy. The Bible says in Corinthians that Satan is the God of this world. 
That's a scripture. If you quoted that to most religious church people, they would say, oh my gosh. You're saying that the devil is the God of this world? Yes, that's what the scripture says. He only has that authority because Adam gave him that authority. But on this planet, the enemy has a level of authority to do things to people. And of course, all the demonic powers under him. And you have an enemy to your soul. And his plan and objective is to still kill and destroy God's creation. So why do bad things happen to good people? I'll give you, I gave you three reasons there, and I want to repeat them. We live in a fallen world that's under a curse, it's under sin. Number two, we have a choice. We have free will. Sometimes it's our choices. Sometimes it's other people's choices that make bad things happen. Number three, you have an enemy. The Bible says the devil and demons, and he is the God of this world. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So I know that's not an exhaustive list, but those are the three major areas. When stuff happens, you need to go here first. When stuff happens in your life, you need to realize why do bad things happen in this life? Why, why do tragedies and disappointments and, and trauma and abuse and death and hurt and pain happen? Well, we live in a fallen world. It's under a curse. We're not in heaven yet. We will be one day. People have a free will. They have a choice. And also you have an enemy of your soul who is the God of this world who is against us. Let's look at a verse here, John 10, 10, in the Amplified Bible. You guys still here this morning? The thief, now who's the thief? The devil, Satan, Lucifer, whoever you want to call him, the enemy. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. And notice what Jesus said, but I have come that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. Notice what the enemy's purpose is. To steal from you, to kill you, and destroy you. And I have come that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance till it's full, till it overflows. Let's leave this up here. You guys still follow me so far today? I know this is not one of those shouting messages. This is a thinking message. But I need you to understand this because I don't want you to end up in a place where you're mad and you're bitter at God and you lose your faith and you leave church and and you change your theology because no one was honest enough to talk at church about overcoming disappointments. Because no preacher was honest enough to give you the part two of the hope message. They just gave you the get your hopes up side, which you do. You need to. But what happens when you get your hopes up and it doesn't happen? This is how you get to the other side of that. And you get healed and you get hope. All right, let's take a step further. So those are three reasons why bad things happen 
to us why things happen to people even that love God. I mean, it's kind of obvious why people that don't know God and that are completely against God, why those things happen. But there's even these things that happen to the people of God. So why? Now I want to give you four things here for the rest of this time on after we know these three reasons why these things happen to us and disappointment happens. These are four steps really to heal and to move forward and to get hope again. You ready for this? I really want to help your theology on the way you think about God today. The first thing is when something happens in your life that you're disappointed about. Once again, that could be a tragedy and death, abuse, pain, disappointment, health, loss of a job. Loss of a child, bankruptcy, disappointment. The first thing I want you to understand before you go any further is if that happened and it doesn't line up with life and life more abundantly, it's not God's fault. Come on, I need some help this morning. You guys have been taught better than this. I need you to know this morning, here is the great dividing line. I want you to hear me today because a lot of Christians don't even know this. It's super simple theology. But if it's bad, it's from the devil. If it comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life, it's from the devil. But if it's good and it's life and life more abundantly, it's from God. It's that simple. There's a dividing line because a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians alike, are blurried and muddled in their thinking on whose fault it is. They can't even give you a straight answer. Well, it might be from God or it might not be from God or maybe it's the devil. You know, the devil loves that talk. He goes out the back door. Not my fault. It was God trying to mature you. It was God trying to teach you something. It was God trying to correct you and punish you and chastise you as a good father. When all along, the little sneaky devil is getting out the back door and nobody knows who the real enemy is. Hear me clearly today. If any of those things that still kill and destroy your life that I listed, I just listed a bunch of them. If those things happen, the first thing you need to settle before you go any further, it's not God's fault. I know I'm preaching hard, but I'm going to keep preaching harder the longer I go here. It's not God's fault it's not it's not his fault you know why because we live in a fallen world not his fault our fault we have a free will and a free choice not his fault our fault we have an enemy not his fault 
God loves you. God is for you. God has done everything he can to save you and heal you and deliver you. It's not his fault. I just want you to have clarity to know before you go any further, it's not his fault. You know why you need to know that? Because if you think it's his fault, you won't go to him for help. If God did it, why go to him to fix it? That makes no sense. If God's trying to teach you something through it, why go to him and ask him to change his mind? Come on, we got to be thinking, Christians. A lot of people preach religion. If you had a brain, you could figure this out. It's not God's fault. You need to understand that because if you don't, you will not go to him for help. And also, you're going to get mad and bitter at the one person who actually loves you and is trying to help you. And he can't work with that if you're resisting him because you're mad at him. I know I'm saying something in the house of God, but you got to hear me. It's not God's fault. Settle it. Once and for all, it's not God's fault. You got a verse for it. The great dividing line. If it steals from my life, it's from the enemy. If it's coming to kill me, it's from the enemy. If it's coming to destroy me, it's from the enemy. But we know it's from God if it's coming to give you life and life more abundantly. It's that simple. A lot of people say, well, God is good. God is good. Do you really believe that, though? If he is good, he's good all the time. And he doesn't trade places with the devil when he gets bored. It's not God's fault. Are you hearing me this morning? I know I'm fired up, but I want you to get this in you. It's not God's fault. you got to have right theology. I just want to be very clear today because there's a lot of nonsense from religious people and even unchurched people about whose fault things in this world it is. Just like insurance people. Let's pick on them. Natural disasters happen. They call it an act of God. Since when do you know theology, State Farm? But you know what? It's tradition to think that way. Natural disaster, God's fault. Died in a plane crash, God's fault. Got a disease, God's fault. My family burned up in a house fire, God's fault. He was trying to teach me something, make me humble. If you really think that about God, I wouldn't serve him. He's an abusive father then. Would you do that to your own kids? I need a little bit louder. Would you do that to your own kids? Then why would God do that to us? And it says, compared to God's goodness, we are evil. Compared to his goodness. So if we, being good, know how to treat our children, how much more our Heavenly Father would only do good things to us. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. It's not God's fault. 
I'm going to take you a step further. The second thing is, when these things happen, or if these things have happened in your life where you've been disappointed and you're saying, where was God? Why did this happen? First of all, it's not God's fault. But secondly, don't get into the whys. Don't get into the whys. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this because the enemy wants you to keep in the whys. There's a lot of times God will tell us why certain things happened. That's great. If he does, learn from it. Grow from it. There's certain things in my life God has said, this is why this happened. I said, okay, God, I'm going to learn from that. But there's other areas in my life that I don't know the answer. So don't get into the whys. Because if you get into the whys, the enemy has got you. And you will go in circles the rest of your life tormented on an answer that you will never get. If God did not tell you, it's none of your business. We don't like that answer because we want exact, complete answers from God because we, we deserve it. He owes us an explanation for everything. No, he doesn't. So when things happen, yes, I believe a lot of times God will tell you why things happened. But there's a lot of other things God might not specifically tell you why something happened. Especially when it pertains to other people. Do not get in the whys. You will go in circles the rest of your life being tormented until you settle it. If God didn't tell me, it's none of my business. I'll give you a verse for that. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But notice, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forevermore that we may do all the words of the law. But notice the first half. The secret things belong to the Lord but those things which are revealed belong to us. There are certain things in life that are secret between God and other people. And there's other things that God will tell us and reveal to us, especially if it pertains to us. But we cannot get into the wise. Now, I want to give you a few personal examples of my personal life and our family's personal life. Lest you think just because you're a pastor, you're immune to these things happening. Just like last week, I'm not trying to hide anything from you guys. I speak honestly about what's going on. I'm not trying to hold myself up on a pedestal. I'm not on one. Neither are you. The only person that's perfect is Jesus. The person you should be following is Jesus. I am your pastor, but I'm a human being too. So don't get into the wise. I'll give you a few examples that are real to us, 
but also real to you. Lest you think like, well, Pastor, it's easy for you to preach on a message like this because you've never been through anything. Because if you did, you would change your theology too. No, I settled it a long time ago. I don't have a crisis of faith when bad things happen. Is there a God? Do I believe anymore? Yes, I believe. I know who the enemy is, and it's not God. Real simple. One of the examples I want to give you today is my grandma Mimi. A lot of you know who Mimi is. Mimi loved God. She served God her whole life. She was a big part of this church. She lived into her late 80s, was in great health. You know, I always tell the grandkids this, because they always try to say, well, grandma is like cool, like she's a cool grandma. Don't let that go to your head. But, you know, I always correct them and say, you think grandma's cool? Mimi was on a whole nother level. Grandma ain't nothing compared to Mimi. Mimi saved my life. She paid off tickets for me. She paid off people then when I ran into somebody's car. She did all sorts of things and kept my secrets because the secret things belong to the Lord. Mimi knew at that time of my life, if she would have told mom and dad, I would have went to heaven. So she protected me. She guarded me. She was an armor bearer. But in 2006, Mimi went in to have knee surgery. She was in great health. She got her knee surgery. Her knee was fixed, but there was complications when they were in there. She ended up being in the ICU for 40 days and died. That shouldn't have happened. She loved God. She loved us. It wasn't even her knee surgery. Her knee was fine after they fixed it. It was other things that happened when she was in there. She suffered the last 40-some days of her life in ICU with tubes and all sorts of stuff in her. Is that God's will? that God's punishment you got to do something with that or you know what next time you're believing God for something the enemy's got to bring that up what about Mimi and us as a family we know some reasons why that happened not sin everyone always goes to that one first But even if we didn't know, we got to stay out of the wise. I don't have a full answer for that. Why did Mimi go to heaven that way? I mean, she lived a long, full life. I'm not doubting that. But she was in such good health, she would still be here probably. She'd be 100 years old. You got to deal with that. But you know what? We know as a family, it's not God's fault. And I'm not going to get into the whys about it. Because God is good all the time. 
Dr. Dufresne. I'm not afraid to talk about this stuff, by the way. Some people like shy away from like, don't talk about that. You got to. You're thinking it. Dr. Dufresne, our spiritual father, grandfather in this house, Dr. Ed Dufresne, man of faith. He died in a plane crash at 70-something years old. Now dad's almost that age. What do you do with that? It's okay to be quiet right now. Some of you freaked out over that and lost your faith. Dr. Dufresne is a human. Come on now, help me somebody. He's not God. He believed God. He served God. But him dying in a plane crash is not God's fault. Not God's will. But you know, if you get in the wise, this is what will happen. Hear me. Dr. Dufresne was a great man of faith. Why didn't God protect him? How can I believe God to protect me? Enemy loves that. And if Dr. Dufresne was here today, he would slap you in the face. And say, don't ever base what you believe on an experience of a man. Base what you believe on the word of God. Because every man is a liar, but God's word is true. Don't ever judge it off of somebody else's experience because they're a human being. Even great men and women of faith. There's some reasons why that happened to Dr. Dufresne. I'm not going to tell you all of them. It's not sin. But we know some things personally with Pastor Nancy and other people. There's reasons. But even if you don't know why, stay out of the wise. It's not going to help you. It's just going to confuse you. It's going to hurt your faith. Because you never base what you believe on experience. You base it on the word of God. You guys still here today? Am I helping you? But you got to do something with that. You got to settle it. I'm not speaking this over dad, but if dad died tragically, that should not change what you believe about God. You got to be that real about your faith. Doesn't matter what anyone else does with the word of God. Yes, we praise God for great men and women of God who are examples for us, but if no one did it, the Bible is still true and God is still good. You got to settle that. You got to settle that. Because trust me, there will be lots of things to come unsettle you about that. Got to settle it. I got I to get a little bit further here. Don't get into the whys. Even Jacob in the past year and a half or so, our family going through a lot. It's not God's will. It's not God's fault. You got to settle that. Yeah. 
So you can't look up at us and like, oh, well, they've never been through nothing, so it's easy for them to preach on faith and hope. No, it's because we settled some things about who God is and about what we believe. And we know that the real enemy is not God. So don't shoot yourself in the foot blaming God when he's the only one who can help you get on the other side of stuff. And he loves you more than anyone. And when you're hurting, he's hurting. But you know, I know some of you will say, well, why, why didn't Jacob get his? He got healed before, why didn't he get healed again? So exactly where the enemy wants you to be. Next time you believe God for healing, he's going to go, well, you remember Mimi. You remember Jacob. Is it okay that we're this honest today? We're all family here. Next time you believe for protection by Dr. Dufresne. You got to get out of the wise. If God didn't tell you, Stay out of the wise. Here's something that other people say. Well, you know what? And, and I get it because it's their pain and their hurt. When I get to heaven, I'm going to go right up to God and ask him why that happened. <coughs> you want to know the truth? <clears throat> when you get to heaven, you're not going to care. You're not. That'll be the last concern that you have because all things will be restored and all things will have become new. And you're not going to go up to heaven and say, God, why did this happen? When I was in third grade, someone stole my eraser and I want to know why. God, why did this person die? Why did this abuse happen? Why did this pain happen? You're not going to care then. But I get it. We all want an answer. So once again, let's settle this. So if God gives you an answer, appreciate it, learn from it, and use it. But if he doesn't, settle it. Don't get into the wise. Don't let it torment you the rest of your life waiting for an answer you're not going to get this side of eternity. I'm trying to help you this morning i got two more things. I know I'm going long here, but I want to share everything I have. Now, this is funny. I, I have two pages worth of notes and extra notes, but I was in my truck yesterday. I'm writing on straight envelopes in my truck because God keeps giving me more stuff. Number three, you're going to need to process the pain. Could you open this for me real quick? Process the pain. I got a little bit more today, if you're ready for it. It's not God's fault. Don't get into the wise. Process the pain. When disappointments happen, tragedy, loss of a job, loss of health, death, divorce, abuse, pain, disappointments, you need to process the pain. It's called grief. 
We need to talk about this because this is a mental and emotional health issue. Most people do not process the pain in their life. That's why they have the issues they have. Because it's a deeper issue. A lot of times, even in the church world, we don't talk about grieving with God. We don't talk about processing with God. We just act like if you get prayed for, you'll be fine. Just forget about it. Or you could just make one confession and make it go away. No, it's a process of healing. And we have to process the pain. If you went through stuff like that, you have to properly grieve. They teach you that about grief. Grief is a process. Physically, your body grieves. Mentally, your body grieves. Emotionally, your body grieves. Spiritually, your body grieves. And you got to go through the process because if you skip steps, you're not going to heal properly. You can't ignore pain in your life and it be okay. You can't just say, I'm tough, it doesn't bother me. It'll come back and find you later on in life. If you don't deal with pain and disappointment, it will deal with you. A lot of us in here, including myself, when we get hurt or there's pain, what do we do? We suppress it. We push it down. Some of those traumatic things happen to us. Loss, pain, abuse, disappointment. You push it down because it's easier to not deal with it. But when you suppress pain and grief, it doesn't make it go away. It just waits to come back later. I'm trying to help you this morning as your pastor. The further you push down pain and grief, it will come back later. Sometimes a week later, sometimes a month later, sometimes years later. That pain and grief, if you don't deal with it with God, it will deal with you. And later on, it will come out in life as anger. You don't even know why you're angry. You're angry because you never dealt with that pain and grief from that situation that happened a long time ago. It could be depression. You don't even know why you're sad because you never dealt with that and let God heal you of it. Deal with anxiety. Even physically, it's proven that your body keeps that trauma in your body. And if you don't deal with it, it will come out later in even physical issues. You got to deal with it. Now, I'm going to say something about faith people because I is a faith person. But a lot of times in faith churches, they think that because they confessed a few times and they went up in a prayer line, they're healed, but they're actually ignoring what's going on in their life. <laughs> they're just like, oh, it doesn't bother me, I'm good. No, you're not. I would say even in faith churches, a lot of people aren't healed. They're just ignoring it. Some of you are getting some help today if you're listening. You can't just deny it and it goes away. You can't ignore it and it goes away. You got to deal with it and you got to process the pain. Now, I'm not going to leave you there. 
I'm going to tell you how you do that. Because there's a proper way to do it, and there's an improper way to process pain. Let me give you a verse, 2 Samuel, and I need to close here soon, but 2 Samuel 12, in verse 16, in the New Living. So let me give you a little context of what happened. David brought this on himself. David disobeyed God he slept with another woman that wasn't his wife he killed the man that she was with and his own choices brought consequences on his son now this is what it says in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 16 David begged God to spare the child and he went without food and lay all night on the bare ground the elders of his household pleaded with him to get up, eat with him, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died, and David's ad- advisors were afraid to tell him he wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when he tell him the child is dead? And when David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked, and he said, yes, they replied, he is dead. Now, I want you to really look at this verse. What happened? Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, changed his clothes, and he went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. I just want to stop right there because it's too good. How do you process the pain in your life? Don't ignore it. Don't suppress it, because it'll come back, and it's going to come back worse. You process the pain or the grief in your life in God's presence. If you want to get healed, you got to process in his presence. That's the only way you're going to find healing, and that might be more than one time with God. That might be weeks with God. That might be months with God. That might be years with God in your own personal life. You telling God what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what's going on with you, and getting into his presence and letting God heal you from the inside out. Processing the pain is not taking a drug to numb your feelings. It's only temporary fix. Processing the pain is processing in the presence of God. Notice what David did. David just found out his child died. But David chose to, he got up from the ground. And I'll preach. He refused to stay down. He washed himself. He changed his clothes. Because how many know the Bible says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's a choice. And he went, where did he go? He didn't go to the medication. He didn't just go to the therapist. He went to the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Come on now, somebody. He went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. That's how you process the pain. You process it in his presence. You got to process in his presence. And after he returned to the place, he was served food and he ate. Next verse. 
His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now the child is dead. You have stopped your mourning and are eating again. Listen to his response. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. Perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let my child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. So what's he saying there? He settled it. He settled it. He processed it, and then he settled it. You need to process your pain in God's presence. Not on Facebook, in his presence. Not with medication, in his presence. Not with psychotherapy and hypnotism, in his presence. You guys still here? We're almost done, but I know I had a lot to say today. We process in his presence, and here's the second part of that, and you need to process it with right people. Underline right people about ten times. I didn't say people. I said right people. You need to process in God's presence, but you need to talk to people if you're really in pain and you're really struggling. Process with the right people. Let me say one more thing about faith people, because I is a faith person. You know, we got to be honest enough, just like every other denomination has areas where they kind of miss it on, word of faith is no different. We could go to extremes in certain areas and kind of overly get into error about things. And I am a word of faith person. But here's another kind of way of thinking in word of faith people. I don't want to tell anybody what I'm going through because it will make me look spiritually immature. So instead, I'm going to keep all this in and suffer silently and never really get healed because I don't want to process this with anybody in my life. And so I look spiritually mature because I never say I need help, but you're not. You're actually being foolish. I'm trying to pastor you today if you're listening to what I'm saying. I know what you're saying, but everyone needs someone. I didn't say to process this with everybody, but you need to process the pain with right people. Yes, with God first in his presence, but with right people if you need further help. Someone who has more wisdom than you, more maybe anointing than you, maybe understands things more than you. You need to process with right people because they can help you. Let's stop this mentality. If I speak up, I'll look immature. No. If you speak up, you look wise that you need help. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. No offense to any of you. I love you. little disclaimer, I love you. I don't talk to you guys about my problems. Well, pastor, you do every Sunday morning. No, that's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) No offense to you. You guys are great. I love you. 
a lot of you have more wisdom and experience than I do. But I got to go to the right people that are going to help me. For me, I can't go to lower anointing or even anointing. I got to go up to a higher anointing. I know what I'm saying is, is some of you don't understand what I'm saying, but that's spiritual talk. I can't go to you even though me and you could be on the same level. I need to go to somebody who's a little bit more spiritually, more developed than that in a higher anointing than I have. So that's why I can't, because you're like, Pastor, why don't you talk to me about your problems? Because you can't help me. No offense, you can't help me. So I talk to Dad, because he's more seasoned than I am. He's got more wisdom than I am. He's got more anointing than I do. And then mom eavesdrops, and she adds her two cents. <laughs> she keeps coming up in these messages <laughs> lately. But I got to go to him because he's 71, and I'm 33, and I need somebody who's been in the ministry and has a higher anointing than me and wisdom than me. Not against you, but I need to go to higher. But you need to think that way about your life. You don't need to just talk to your buds or your friends unless they don't have that kind of wisdom and anointing on your life. you got to go to a higher anointing if you want to get some wisdom and somebody to really help you process that. So I talked to dad. And I have to talk to mom because she eavesdrops on the conversation. But then also, I talk to Pastor Dennis all the time. I've talked to him for years. He helps me because he's in a higher place than I am. But you need to do the same if you're struggling. Lastly, you got to turn the page. You have to turn the page in your life. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, you can't go back and change the beginning. But you can start where you are and change the ending. A lot of us get stuck on one bad chapter and stay there the rest of our lives. You're only as stuck as you want to be. You have a story that God is trying to tell. If you had a bad chapter, turn the page. It's not your whole story. It's just a chapter. You've got to turn the page and start new. You can't change what happened, but you can change what's going to happen in the future. You can't change the past, but you can change the future. you got to turn the page and let God do something new in your life. After you process the pain and grief, you got to turn the page. I love this quote. It says, let your hopes, not your hurts, shape your futures. Let your hopes, not your hurts, shape your future. Think about people in the Bible who had this happen to them and they turned the page. Think about Job. Job lost everything. He lost his health. He lost his family. He lost his fortune. And it says at the end of Job, in chapter 42, that when he made things right with God and other people, that God restored to him double what he had before. Job had a bad chapter. If you know anything about Job, the whole story of Job was like a year. He lived like 140 years. 
So you're telling me some of you guys do the same thing Job could have done. Let one bad year ruin the rest of your 140 years because you refuse to turn the page and let God do something new in your life. Job had a bad chapter, but he let God restore him and God gave him double than he had before. Think about Joseph in the Bible. Joseph didn't deserve what he got. He got betrayed by his brothers. He got thrown into a pit. He got sold into slavery. He, he, he went to Potiphar's house and then got falsely accused for abuse. He then went to prison for all those years and was mistreated. And then he ended up at the right hand of the king, the prime minister of Egypt. And any of those things could have stopped him. He could have got mad at God. He could have got mad at other people. He could have got bitter. But he decided it's not God's fault. I'm not going to get into the wise. I'm going to process the pain, and then I'm going to turn the page. And when Joseph got to be the prime minister because he kept his heart right, he could have gave up along the way and said, this is a bad chapter. I'm in prison. I got sold into slavery. This is not right. But when he got to be the prime minister, he told his brothers when they came and found him later, the enemy meant this for evil. But God meant it for my good. Notice the last part, to save many people. The enemy meant it to kill him. But the Lord turned it around for his good because he chose to turn the page. And God used him to save many people. I'm landing the plane, but you got to hear the end of this message. I was thinking even about this. Think about Joyce Myers. Some of you know who Joyce Myers is. She's written so many books. She reaches millions and millions of people. Her own story. She was abused by her own father sexually. She was abused by other people. She got older and she gave her life to Jesus. And you know what she decided? If you've heard her testimony, she doesn't blame God. It's not God's fault. She let God heal her. She didn't get into the wise. And now today she's using what she went through to save many other people who went through the same thing because she turned the page. And that's what it can be like for us. You can let what happened to you actually work for you when you let God heal it and turn the page. And you could save many people through your testimony. And not the rest of your life complaining about why. This abuse happened to me. It wasn't God's fault, but now I can use it because I was healed. And God can use that. And I can help other people that were abused. I had, I had the loss of someone I loved. And now I can help other people who lost someone because I've been healed and I turned the page. I was divorced so I can help other divorced people because God has healed me. And I can use that to save many people like it says about Joseph. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? I know I went long today, but you need to hear this. You got to turn the page. And notice when you do, God can use the rest of your life as a testimony to help other people. 
God can do more great things in your future. It's not over. Your future can be different by your own choices. And decide to not let your hurts, but your hope shape your future. I got one last verse, Philippians 3, and verse 13 and 14 in the Passion. I love this. He says, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. Paul says, I let go of the past and I focus on the future. As your pastor today, you got to let it go. If you don't let go of your past, it's going to keep you stuck the rest of your life. You got to choose like the Apostle Paul did. I let go of the past and I fasten my heart and my faith to the future. Did you guys get something this morning? I think I preached myself happy. I love you guys. I believe in you. Hopefully I helped you today. I know I said a lot.